Ramble. The wait is over. That is right. Season 5 of The Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all-new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. Ramble. Welcome to this week's main episode of Rotten Mango. I'm your host, Stephanie Sue, and we've got another Halloween special because it's coming up in a couple of days. So let's just jump right in. The man was thirsty. He was just quenching his thirst. Sip after sip, it almost felt like he couldn't get enough. He was dehydrated. And when he was finally done, from what felt like forever, he got up, wiped his mouth with the back of his hand, and he starts feeling a little woozy. Uh Uh-oh. He bends over and just throws up all over the place. That's not like him. That's so strange. He had done this before so many times. He had always been fine, but why now? Was it the day? Maybe an upset stomach? Maybe what he ate earlier? Or was it the girl? He looked down at her and she was laying with a gaping hole in her neck. And in her last moments, she had seen the vampire of Dusseldorf bent over, throwing up, her blood all over her. As always, full source notes are available at rottenmangopodcast.com, but there's a really interesting book on this called The Sadist, or otherwise known as The Vampire of Dusseldorf by Carl Berg. Now, the author was a trusted doctor, once of the killer when he was in prison. He did countless interviews, but I will say, I will say, I don't know if it's because it was written decades ago. I don't know if this guy, the author, is just a horrible person as well. Let's stick with that (laughs) one. Or if maybe some things were lost in translation because the original book was called The Sadist and it was released in German. Then it was translated into English. But my friend Yelena, who speaks German, amongst other things, was like, "Uh, yeah, this is almost an exact literal translation of every single word. Like, you know how when you're writing a book, there's Mm -hmm. nuanced analogies. No, they translated like Google Translate. So maybe things got lost in translation with this book, okay? So just be warned. If you pick up this book, you're in for a treat, okay? So the main... Wait, what what does that mean? I don't get it. Because when they translated it from German to English, they didn't try to translate it in the way that would communicate to the reader the best way. Why did you say the author is a horrible person? Oh, because he also takes so many digs at so many of the victims. Like, just nonstop. Ah. Like, the dude is, like, just horrendous. (laughs) Okay. Like, if one of the victims had a job that wasn't, I don't know, I guess, upper class or professional or deemed worthy, he just would spend like two pages just dogging on the victim. So, I don't know what kind of doctor this is, okay? Now, the vampire of Dusseldorf, Peter Curtin. This guy is known for being real, truly a vampire. I feel like we say that a lot of all these cases where these people are like, "Ooh, I'm going to I'm going to suck the blood out of people they post on Facebook. Maybe they're part of like a vampire community, maybe a vampire cult. But this guy actually drank blood from his victims. He had a thing with blood. He got off on it. He loved it. He said the sight of blood. If he saw you get a paper cut, you're the receptionist at the doctor's. You get a paper cut. He would ejaculate on the spot. Okay, sorry, the silence. So Peter Curtin's childhood, he was born in Germany to this massive family. I'm talking, he's the firstborn. He had 12 younger siblings. This is a huge family. Now, obviously, that's a lot of stress on the parents to provide. Their mom was described to be uh, a good, decent, respectable woman. 
She came from a much wealthier family, but she ended up leaving the family and all of her kids. Now, it's kind of hard to blame her later on because Peter would even describe his parents' relationship as, and I quote, if they hadn't been married, one would have to think their relationship is rape. So it implies a lot of abuse is involved. So after she leaves, mainly the financial brunt falls on the dad. And he was a sand molder. He makes these giant molds of sand and you pour hot liquid metal into it. So if, you, if you're a factory and you need to make this giant metal sphere shape, you pour that liquid metal into a sand mold. That's how you mold it, right? To get whatever shape you need. It's a very labor intensive job. Now, the dad makes enough money to put food on the table for all 13 of his kids. But the rest... Any extra penny that he had, he would spend it on alcohol. They were not living comfortably by any means. All of the kids had to share one room for 13 children. This isn't even a big room. There was lack of privacy, claustrophobia, lack of general sanity, general hygiene. Because, I mean, there's also sexual frustrations and confusion. Because think about it. It's natural for kids to want to explore their sexuality as they get older, but without any privacy. Mm. It's just not a good... It's not a good mix. It's nearly impossible. There's no healthy way of just figuring out your life as a teenager. Now, there's also a history of alcoholism in the family. Their dad, their grandpa, their aunts and uncles, everyone had a problem with alcohol. Mm -hmm. And especially Peter's dad. He was just hard to be around. He loved getting drunk, smashing in windows, throwing things at the kids. He was said to have been super egotistical. And the main person he took it out on was his first child, his first son, Peter. So Peter spends most of his time trying to hide from his dad. Mm -mm, I'm not going to stay home for that. Are you kidding me? He would even hide in school after hours to try to sleep there. He would go into the woods to hide. Sometimes he'd be gone in the woods for weeks at a time. And one of the people that kind of took him in under their wing was his neighbor, whose occupation was, and I quote, dog catcher. Yeah, it's just as bad as it sounds. So he would capture stray dogs and just slaughter them eat their flesh, sell their lard, which is their fat. Now, Peter's fascinated by this. He would sit there for hours watching his neighbor just slaughter these dogs. And he would say to him, Peter, you have to remember, you can only eat healthy dogs. The best way to test if a dog is really healthy is to prick them with a needle. And the neighbor would prick all of these stray dogs with needles to test if they have a reaction, if they scream, if they bleed. He would break their tails off in front of Peter, who is like nine years old at this point. And Peter loved watching it. And his favorite part by far, when he would watch his neighbor play with the dog's genitals to make them ejaculate. Oh my God. And he'd say things like, are you seeing this, Peter? This is how you make a dog attracted to you. This is how you make a dog trust you. So sexually frustrated and honestly, a creepy little kid, Peter, he was mesmerized. So in all of his free time being gone from the house, he would go to the river, right? And he would watch his neighbor kill these dogs. But sometimes he would hang out with the local boys. They would get on these like logs just giant tree logs and they would float down the river (laughs) okay i feel like this is some things that every kid did if they had a river nearby so they just float on this log and i mean it's a pretty dangerous river right and peter had this intense urge what if i just no what if i just and he finally did it he crept up behind two of his friends and pushed them off the log into the river they both drowned So he was shocked. He knew that what he did was wrong, but he was like, well, it kind of felt good, though. Like, I know it wasn't an accident, but I kind of felt good about it. And that's when it all just started getting worse. One day he comes home after being gone for weeks and he finds out that his dad has been arrested. The only parental figure in his life. The kids are crying and he's like, what the hell's going on? Peter, you'll never believe what happened. Dad is going to prison for over a year for raping one of us. (laughs) 
So Peter's dad had raped the eldest daughter. Now Peter is 14 at the time, so she would have been younger than him. Because yeah. he's the oldest. Now for some sick and twisted reason, he didn't even get mad at his dad. His whole thing, he told the police, was that his sisters had always been a little bit, and I quote, overly sexed. A freaking 12, 13 year old? Yeah, means that someone who shows an excessive sexual appetite or interest in sex. Who says that about a 12 year old, let alone their own sibling? Like, that's disgusting. He would also tell the police, well, I'm not really mad at my dad because my sister wanted to have sex with me too. Her own brother. The police are like, what do you mean? Why, why would she want to have sex with you? Well, she hugged me. That's it. One time she kissed me on the cheek. So he thinks that any of this regular sibling love was her wanting to have sex with him. Maybe uh, the book kind of hypothesizes that it's because he was so deprived of any physical attention. Mm -hmm. He felt like this meant she's interested. His own sister. Now, while Peter's dad is in prison, Peter has to pick up the slack. He's got to put food on the table. He starts doing better in school. He starts working as an apprentice to a molder, which, by the way, Peter's dad is only in jail for 18 months for the rape of his own daughter. And when he gets back, his, his old job is like, hey, why don't you come work for us again? So he really doesn't have that big of a consequence. During his panic of trying to make more money, Peter remembers his old neighbor, the dog catcher. Well, he had moved away by then, but... Maybe I could do that. Maybe there's a market out here. So he learns all these valuable skills. He, he takes on all of the pricking of the needles, the breaking of the tails. But instead of dogs, he starts catching birds and squirrels so that he could make pocket money. He starts selling them. But one time as he's trying to catch a squirrel, he feels a sharp pain on his arm. What is that? A squirrel is biting him on his arm as hard as possible. He starts seeing blood come out and he's like, what the heck, get off of me. He starts flinging his hands around, flinging his arms around, let go of me. But the squirrel refuses. The squirrel is biting on for dear life. And Peter's thinking, you wanna play this game? He starts squeezing the squirrel's neck so hard and it still won't let go. What about now? Squeezes harder and harder till he kills the squirrel. And he said, even though he was young, he had ejaculated in that moment. And from then on, he knew what he liked and he knew what he wanted to see. He wanted to see animals get beheaded. He wanted to see dogs, geese, just chop off their heads while he watches. He said the sight of blood rushing absolutely silently out. He loved it. He would go to local pig farms and watch pigs get slaughtered. That was his favorite pastime. And like any good psychopathic serial killer in the making, he loved setting fires to things, just setting things ablaze. He would light whole trees on fire in the middle of the woods too, just a whole tree on fire. There were also people in the area that couldn't afford a lot. So sometimes you would spot them in shed sleeping on haystacks. He would put, set that on fire? He would creep in and try to set the haystacks with the people sleeping on top on fire. And he said this about it. During the fire itself, the thought that human beings might be burnt, that only added to the sensations that I experienced. He also tried to set fire to the Dusseldorf orphanage several times, but the fire was always put out or would die out. And he said, I probably ought not have done that. Well, you know, because of the orphans. That was his explanation. So when he kept failing to set fire to orphanages and no orphans died, he's like, you know what? Maybe fires aren't my you know, hobby. Maybe they're not my specialty. Maybe they're not my expertise. Maybe I should just have sex instead. I've seen my parents do it once before they broke up, before mom moved out. Let me just have sex. I can do it. It looks easy. It didn't look that hard. So he convinces a girl his age to have sex with him. And he was so frustrated and annoyed the whole time. He just didn't like it. She was resisting too much. She moved around too much. 
And he thought to himself, well, I know I can't control her or other girls. But so far, I have a really good control over, you guessed it, animals. So he starts raping sheep and goats. Whoa. At 14. And when he started assaulting these sheep, he found the best way to climax was to stab the sheep the moment that he climaxed. Later, he would also find a swan at a park, like at a pond, and he, he grabbed the swan by its beautiful throat, cut it, started drinking the blood, and the minute that the blood hit his throat, he ejaculated. I don't know a better word. I feel like I'm using the word ejaculated five million times, but that's what the book uses. And that was just the beginning. So he starts connecting cruelty and sex and blood and all of these things together in his mind. Like you can't have one without the other. But he thought maybe the animal thing, it's just a phase. Eventually, he would have to have sex with women, right? But every single time that he did, he said it was so boring. It just wasn't interesting. So one day he decides to go out and try something crazy. Well, I've done this to animals. Why can't I do it to girls? Let me try to strangle a girl. So he picks up his date on the street, walks her to the woods, and strangles her and leaves her. Now, thankfully, she didn't die. This 18-year-old girl was smart. She pretended to be dead, right? She goes straight to the police. He was never caught. Then he goes on to this, like, dating spree, crime spree. He falls in love with an older woman, right? She has a 16-year-old daughter. Now, he's super abusive to the mom that he's dating. Would fight her, beat her, eventually threaten to kill her. And he ends up spending a little over a year in jail for abuse and embezzlement. Now, this is what's crazy. He spends 18 months in prison for embezzlement, one week for the abuse. Okay, (laughs) these are the priorities. So when he gets out, he apologizes to his girlfriend. Please take me back, baby. I'm going to change all of that. And she does. But he also at the same time starts sleeping with this 16 year old daughter. So he's dating both the mom and the daughter, and he would abuse both of them. His favorite thing to do was threaten them with a revolver. They would be so scared that mom and daughter both, they would start running away from him in zigzag patterns, and he would shoot after them. And while he did this, he would be masturbating. And he got off on like their screams and their fear. So finally, Peter gets a real jail sentence. He's sentenced to five years in prison for assault. Now, this is where his personality starts warping. For all of the five years, it's said that he was punished very terribly by the prison itself. In the beginning, he wasn't placed in solitary confinement, so he tried to bond with his other prisoners. He's like, what are you in here for? Robbery? Oh, that's cool. You know what my favorite hobby is? To just bite a woman's genitals until it bleeds. Oh, you will never feel such great enjoyment like that. You should try it. You're a sex offender? Well, let me tell you. Let me give you some advice. This is what I would say in court. And trust me, the judges eat it up every single time. So how are you guys getting off in here? The other prisoners would tell him, well, we just think about naked women. Sometimes women we've been with and we we just masturbate. Okay, well, let me try that tonight. Now, Peter tries it. It doesn't work for him. He didn't like it. He couldn't even get a bonbon. So he would lay there and he'd think about the prettiest woman he'd ever seen. Now he pictured her naked, still not working. So he starts, okay, well, let's get a little bit creative. He starts thinking about slitting open her stomach and taking out her intestines. And crazy enough, he gets a bonbon and he reaches a climax. And eventually, the only thing that got him off in prison was thinking about violently murdering women. He had this reoccurring fantasy. One of his old high school friends, he would shoot her. And in that moment that she was shot, he would climax. The excitement, the joy, the shock of everyone, even the shock on her face knowing that this old high school friend just shot her. Eventually, when he got out of prison, he would actually shoot her. 
He claimed eventually the abuse in prison started happening and it was rough. He was targeted by the guards. He never had enough food. He was starving. He was chained up all time. A priest would come in and traumatize him by by aggressively praying for him and then kissing the chains. And he, he thought that that was weird. I don't know why he included that in the abuse section. He was like, yeah, I was abused because this priest paid prayed for me. Now, the whole thing sounds traumatic and bizarre. And he was also isolated for a little bit. He said that he felt like he was in a five-year-long psychosis when he was in prison, that he wasn't really there, that he wasn't really mentally present. So when he's released from prison, oh, he's ready. He's ready to fork some stuff up, okay? He starts going back to crime, starts setting things on fire. He committed arson at least three times that we know of. And he was sentenced again for close to 10 years. So this time around, I mean, I don't really know what took place in prison. It was probably just as bad, just as abusive. He tried to take his own life once. But a lot of people speculate that maybe he didn't try to take his life because he wanted to take his life, but he wanted a thrill. This guy chases a thrill. He loves it so much. The adrenaline. When he went to the hospital for his life to be saved, he was so excited. Talking to the doctors about, oh, this suicide attempt. Oh, how did I do this? How did I do that? What about the blood? How much blood did I lose? Just so strange. Mm -hmm. And this guy's a huge narcissist. So do we really think that he was suicidal? I have no idea. Now, when he gets back out after 10 years, that's when stuff really starts hitting the fan. Hopefully, this is all chronological, but the book jumps around a lot and there's not that much like concise information out there. It is an older case. So Peter gets released. He wants to feel that excitement that he had imagined all day, every night in prison of murdering women, viciously murdering women till he climaxed. So he meets up with this girl named Margaret. And he claims that they went on a few dates together. She claims this was more of a kidnapping situation. Do I believe her? Absolutely, okay? So she said that Peter took her into the woods, wouldn't let her go go home, held her bag, wouldn't give her keys back, would just hold her purse hostage. And he tried to kiss her. And she rejected him like, oh, no, I'm not that into you. And he knocked her out. Just punched her. Knocked her out. And when she came back to it, I mean, she's waking up in the middle of the woods, just been knocked unconscious by this guy. He was completely normal again, as if none of that happened. So they continue to walk through the park because she's thinking, well, the sooner that I act normal, the sooner that I get out of here, the safer for me. And as they pass a park bench, he throws her onto the bench and tries to rape her. So this guy's just switching back and forth, right? And in the struggle of it all, her dress was ripped. She's crying hysterically. And then suddenly he was nice again. He threw his coat over her. They both fell asleep on the bench, cuddling. And then when they woke up, all of a sudden, he ripped off her earrings, bit her heart, tried to strangle her, started pulling out fistfuls of her hair. She's screaming. She's trying to get away. But he looked like the devil himself. She's like, calm down, calm down. And eventually he does. And he says, well, you can't tell anyone what happened. Okay, I won't. Good. Now let's go get breakfast together. So he takes her out to eat breakfast and that's when Margaret was able to get some of the waitresses and sneakily tell them what was going on and they helped her escape through the back. Now, Peter would say this is all nonsense. He would say that they went on a few dates. He wanted to choke her while they were on the way home. Like, okay, I don't even know what that means. (laughs) Like, okay, maybe, maybe I would be a little bit more understanding if you were like, oh, well, we were having sex and she asked me to choke her. I still don't think that's okay because this guy is scum, but I could kind of be like, oh, well, that's not impossible. That's not a really bizarre. I've never heard of that type of kink, right? But like, you're just on your way home. 
Imagine being the Uber driver for something like this. We're on the way home and I was just choking her. Okay, so he tries to strangle her on the walk home and he keeps telling her, don't worry, this is what love is supposed to be, but I'm not going to kill you though. Not alarming at all. And he claims that she put up with it and they had sex on the bench. Now, when he says sex, I think rape, okay? She put up with it. That's it. He said that's it. He never really did anything crazy to her. The fistfuls of hair, well, that was just sex. So he never really got caught or punished for that. When I was in high school, I had this ritual every day after coming home from school. I would grab a salty snack, sit down, watch my favorite mystery drama on TV. And recently I discovered the adult version of that, which at the end of the workday, I grab salt and vinegar chips, snuggle up on the couch, and I play June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden objects mystery game that makes me feel like I'm living inside of a mystery TV show that is very immersive. You play as Detective June Parker, and you just found out that your sister and husband were murdered. This is a fictional story. So you fly from London to New York to investigate, but the clues are just not adding up. So you get to go through these series of scenes from the mansion living room to a lavish garden to a 1920s style New York cafe. In each room, you have to find hidden objects that help you solve the mystery of your sister's death. And in the meantime, a whole lot of unexpected, just scandalous twists are going to happen. There's family secrets, danger, there's romance. I love traveling all over the world with June. Currently, I'm exploring Paris in the 1920s because the game is set in the 1920s it just has the most aesthetic game design ever and it's so cozy whenever i need a break from the suspense i can pause the story and head over to my private island yeah they give you a private island and you get to customize it however you want for you i love cottage core mixed with that old money vibe with a huge mansion and a luxurious garden and even like this train rail june's journey is the best way to unwind at the end of a long day or just to take a break in the middle of the day when i feel overwhelmed i can escape all of my problems and turn into detective june discover your inner detective when you download june's journey for free today on ios and android I love meal deliveries. In fact, I love everything about having my meals delivered straight to my doorstep, except the delivery fees. That's why I signed up for the Dash Pass, an exclusive membership from DoorDash that lets you make an unlimited amount of fee-free orders for eligible orders. Whether it's food from your favorite restaurants, groceries from across town, or anything in between, the Dash Pass can get you $0 deliveries and lower service fees on eligible orders. That means you can easily save money at your favorite restaurants and grocery stores the dash pass practically pays for itself in two orders on average the math is mathing plus dash pass gives you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items and all of this for only $9.99 a month open the door to zero dollar delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else sign up for dash pass today only on doordash and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member subject to change terms apply Then Peter goes on to commit his very first real murder. I guess the boys in the river don't count because that's what the book said. This was his very first murder. And her name was Christine Klein. He had met Christine when he robbed her house. Let me explain. So instead of working, Peter really liked to just rob people for a living. His favorite type of house were the business home lofts. So on the very ground floor, there would be a business. Then the whole family of the business, they would live on the top floor. So he's thinking, well, no one's going to be on the bottom floor. But if you break into an apartment where there's a bedroom on the bottom floor, maybe someone's in the kitchen on the bottom floor, then that's like a whole thing. But at least for sure after business hours, who the heck's on the bottom floor? 
So he would break in through the business and then would unsuspectingly walk upstairs to the sleeping family. And he broke into Christine's house one night, but he was annoyed. There was really nothing of value, even worth stealing. He's like, oh, why don't they have any valuables? Why don't they spend a lot of money? What's going on? Where's the cash? That's when he sees 10-year-old Christine sleeping on her bed. And he calmly walks over and he starts choking her just out of nowhere. So 10-year-old Christine woke up to a home intruder choking her. She starts freaking out. She's stretching out, like trying to scream, scratch him, everything. But she loses consciousness and he assaulted her while she was blacked out. (laughs) Okay, this part's really dark, so just be warned. He would later say that he quote-unquote wanted to tear open the child's genitals, but it wasn't enough for his lust, so he had to slit her throat. And when he did, he said he heard a gurgle from the blood from her throat because he had slid it and it was gurgling out of her throat, like splurting out and dripping onto the bed. And some had even gotten onto his hand. And he ejaculated while listening to the sound of the blood gurgling. So he has this like deep, intense fascination with blood, like a sadistic attraction, really. I don't know where it started. Maybe with the animals. Sounds like it. And he said the whole business didn't take more than three minutes. So after he gets himself cleaned up, he goes looking for bars in the area. Why? Maybe he wants to decompress. Maybe he wants to hang out. No, he said he wanted to wait for the sun to rise, for the whole town to find out what had happened to young 10-year-old Christine in the middle of the night. And he would sit there and he might ejaculate again from all of the shock that the neighborhood would feel. He said he was so satisfied from all of this that later he would even visit Christine's grave. And when he touched the soil that she was buried under, he would feel something. And then he would spontaneously ejaculate. Now, two months later, Peter can't wait anymore. He's like, I need to feel this thrill again. I need to break into another house. And he does. That's when he finds 17-year-old Gertrude Franken asleep in her bed. He walks over, starts choking her. And he had choked her hard enough that blood starts gushing from her mouth. And he ejaculated and left. She had managed to survive this horrible ordeal. But for the next eight years, I mean, he was just, he wasn't caught for the murders. He was caught for other things like embezzlement. So he was in prison again for eight more years. He didn't kill again. So when he gets released, he's trying to make up for lost time. He's like, I'm turning into this old man. I got to do something. I got to make my life worthwhile. And he meets this woman named August. When they first start dating, Peter's not that interested. He's like, August is whatever. She's okay. She's not that cute. He kept cheating on her, even though they were technically dating, just didn't treat her well. But eventually, once she said, you know what? I'm done with you. I don't want to be with you if you're going to treat me like dirt. He was all over her. We got to be together. And she's like, listen, Peter, I just don't think we're a good match. Just let it go. And instead of letting it go, instead of trying to win her love back, what does he do? He gets up in her face and he tells her, if you don't have sex with me, I will push something in between your ribs and you'll die. And just like that, they started dating, which is terrifying. So sad. But also if your kids are like, how did you guys meet? Now, it's implied that she married him for because she was terrified, but also for financial reasons. He had gotten a permanent job at a factory recently, which a lot of his coworkers had a lot of interesting things to say about him. They said that he was quiet. He did his job, never bothered anyone. But he had this really vain habit. Any reflection he would see on the machine, on the mirror, he would stop and stand and just look at himself. It seemed like he was really vain. He loved fixing up his hair gel, spraying his cologne. He owned way too many suits for someone who didn't need any suits. (laughs) He loved it, okay? But she knew, she knew, August knew that Peter was a bad guy. She knew that he was cheating on her. Sometimes she would even catch women in the house. She would throw them out. Stop having sex with my husband. 
and she would ask them to leave. She even knew that Peter liked to rape women. Even on one occasion, she persuaded and begged one of the rape victims to not go to the police. She's like, why didn't she ask him to stop? Because that's bizarre. She said that every time she did, he would threaten to kill himself because he has such little in life. And he would tell her, August, these are the only simple pleasures I have left. I'm sorry, what? Okay, (laughs) You say that about playing video games or hobbies. Maybe collecting toy model cars, not sexually assaulting women. But she fell for it. She was like, yeah, I mean, his life is kind of sad. Like, he needs a little fun in his life. She, she felt bad for him. She was definitely being manipulated. I also think she was probably a horrible person, too. She said that if she didn't confront him, if you didn't fight with him, if you didn't question him, you didn't piss him off, he was, quote unquote, otherwise good. So why did she stay in this marriage, right? She would say that it's punishment for her old life. She had been a sex worker and she was convicted for shooting her fiance to death. It's a lot to unpack. That's like a weird marriage. (laughs) They need therapy. (laughs) Now, their relationship is pretty miserable. Their entire sex life, Peter just wanted her to get him um, an erection so that once he got an erection afterwards, he would actively loudly talk about his violent fantasies of killing women. And that was the only way to climax. So they had a pretty much non-existent sex life. And it would take very, very long for him to reach that climax. They had a lot of sex, but it was without her consent. He would rape her. He would ask her to lay down naked and kind of pretend that she was dead. He said that his love for his wife was not sensual love, but admiration for her character. So outside of his wife, he didn't have any close family or friends, right? He didn't have any crazy relationships, but he briefly stops committing his crimes, not because of her, not because, not for her, but because an iron had fallen straight onto his head and he had a head injury. So he's got these raging headaches. It's hard to say if there were any serious brain injuries, but I don't think it matters because he was committing crimes before. And it really wouldn't matter even if it was just after. So eventually he ends up going back to his old ways. The headaches are gone and he meets a housekeeper by the name of TD. Now she lived with her employers, which is what a lot of housekeepers did back in the day. And Peter starts wooing her. He's like, let's go on a date. He said he was 10 years older. Look at this full head of hair. Oh yeah, I've got this great job at this amazing office. Yeah, I'm like a CEO technically. He would sneak over to her place. They would have consensual sex in her quarters until one day he felt like he was done being the nice guy. And he starts strangling her. She's like, excuse me, can you not do that? And he tells her, well, Titi, this is what love is. Have you never felt love, you poor little sad girl? They would get increasingly more violent when they had sex. Sometimes, even if they were enjoying a cup of tea and he didn't like her talking. He said, you're talking too much for a woman. Or God forbid she argued with him. He would just choke her until she passed out. But this was not the only housekeeper he was seeing. He had met another woman by the name of uh, Mrs. M. And he tried to tell her the same lies that he told T.D. He was super abusive with her too. And eventually she found out that he was married. So she breaks up with him, goes to the police for abuse, threats, and insulting behavior. And he gets eight months in prison. And that is when T.D. finds out that he was in prison. So she's like, you know what? I'm going to report him to the police too for attempted seduction. That was a crime back then. You could get arrested for attempted seduction. So that got him two months in prison and he does not learn his lesson. And when he gets out, he starts dating a woman by the name of Maria. Now, Maria said this whole dating process was so bizarre. Peter had given her this fake name. They went on a few dates. And on the last date, as they're walking home in the dark, they pass a park bench. Peter grabs her out of nowhere, throws her down onto it, and starts choking her with one hand and the other one trying to grope her under her skirt. I mean, this whole walk, this whole date, he was the picture-perfect gentleman. 
They just passed a park bench and he tackled her onto it. So she's resisting. She's screaming. And since it wasn't that isolated, Peter was scared that there would be a witness. So Maria takes this chance of Peter looking around to see if anyone was watching, grabs his hat and runs off. And he casually switches off his weird personality into being, give me my hat back. Like as if they're just dating, like, oh, where are you taking my hat? Another similar situation took place with a woman by the name of Anna. Peter goes on a few dates with her. They had sex on a park bench and out of nowhere, he starts choking her. And so she's like, please stop. She manages to get away. But even after all of that, he still offers to walk her home. They even had a few more dates after that. He never had to have sex with her again. He never choked her again. And Peter said it wasn't important because he was getting off the mental and emotional torture. He said, and I quote, I treated her so badly that she was black and blue, implying that she was bruised. Yet, even after all of that, she went out with me again. Some women are funny. So eventually, he gets sent to a mini prison. Okay, this is like a remand prison. It's essentially detention for adults. It's not even a prison, honestly. And he felt like all the crimes that he was allegedly convicted of were such false, baseless accusations. He didn't really assault these women. <laughs> he just was showing them love. So he's seething in anger during his stay. And once he gets out, he's like, yeah, well, I'll show the police. They think I'm going around killing women? They think I'm going around making them miserable? Well, I'll show them. So as he walks out of detention, he sees an elderly woman walking down the street, Mrs. K. And being the sweet gentleman that he is, when he passes her, he nods and says, Good evening. But without warning, he grabs her by the coat, whispers into her ear, Don't struggle. Don't scream. And with a swift, rapid motion, he grabs scissors out of his pocket and starts stabbing her 14 times everywhere, her head, her torso, her arms. And then he drops her on the road and she's screaming bloody murder and he walks away. She ends up surviving the attack. She was found by witnesses. Now, on another day that Peter was out for a walk, he was passing by St. Vincent's Church in Dusseldorf when he came across an eight-year-old child, Rosa. Well, 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 little girl, what are you doing alone? Where are you going? I'm going home. Where do you live? Down the block. Come on, it's dangerous out here. I'll take you home. And as he starts walking her in the direction of her house, out of nowhere, without warning, he wraps his hands around her throat, strangles her till she passes out, drags her into the woods, and stabbed her in the left temple. So in the side of the head. And then in her chest with a pair of scissors. Now she's got this gaping wound, almost like a hole on the side of her head. And he starts feeling like, well, there needs to be something done about that. No. And he bends down. And he starts sucking the blood out of her temple hole. And as he's doing this, he climaxes. And once he's quenched his thirst, he drags her body behind a hidden bush and goes back home to clean himself up and also the scissors. After murdering Rosa, this monster has the audacity to go to the movies. Now, while he's sitting there, I don't know what movie he's watching, but he starts thinking of better ways to... Have fun with Rosa's body. So he goes back afterwards with a whole container of gasoline and tries to light her body on fire. Well, at least that was the intention. But because there were a lot of people in the area, he went back home disappointed and unsatisfied. His whole thought, his whole goal was that if he were to light her on fire, he would climax again. So the police find Rosa and they were, I mean, this is probably one of his youngest victims thus far. So they start freaking out. They don't know what to do. I mean, this is a sexual sadist. There's obviously signs that she was assaulted. She was brutally murdered in the woods. I mean, what is going on? Now, Peter would later claim that he didn't have intercourse with the child. He only assaulted her with his fingers, but he had already ejaculated because she had been murdered. That was just a cherry on top. 
He said that he never really raped to ejaculate. Mainly, he wanted to kill to climax. It was always the stabbing or the slitting of the throat that made him climax. It was never assault. And he would have to say this about Rosa's murder. The ejaculation was nice. It gave me a shudder down the whole back. So he stops for a little while. Then he finds that his wife and him are able to come to an agreement. His wife would be at work from the hours of, I want to say, like 8 p.m. to about 1 in the morning. And those were his times where he would go out and look for a woman to murder. That's a good five hours to kill someone. That's what he thought. So he starts going around multiple times a week, walking aimlessly around Dusseldorf, looking for his next victim. And that's when he spots Rudolf Scheer. Now, this is a man, okay? This is very different from all of his other kills. He finds this man and he was very frustrated at this point he hadn't found anyone yet he was getting upset because now he doesn't have time maybe he has to go back home without murdering someone are you kidding me what a what a crappy day so he's so frustrated he sees rudolph and he comes up behind him and calls him out for being drunk and noisy so rudolph was a little bit drunk and rudolph's like geez dude like what do you want from me i'm not bothering you and he shoves peter out of the way and peter sizes him up real quick makes sure he doesn't have a gun or a knife and he punches rudolph square in the face so this drunk man is on the ground on his face and peter whips out his scissors and starts stabbing him and rudolph tries to fight back but i mean he's relentless peter keeps stabbing without stopping until finally rudolph collapses The last stab made Peter climax. It didn't matter that Rudolph was a man. It wasn't about gender. It was about pain. It was about taking a life. It was about the hearing of the gurgling of blood. But he still wasn't satisfied yet. So he bends over, leans down, and starts sucking the blood out of Rudolph's neck. And once he quenched his thirst, he wiped his mouth with the back of his hand and he dragged Rudolph's body into a ditch nearby and he just throws him in it. And he just stands there watching his dead body in the ditch and it was giving him this like intense satisfaction. So the next morning, Peter wakes up and he can't stop thinking about last night and he's like, ah, it could have been better. He's the improviser. Peter is always the improver. So he goes back to the crime scene to see if anybody had found Rudolph yet. And he finds the whole area swarmed with police. Now, side note, this is not a well-traveled area. So the police are like, hey, why are you here, Peter? What's your name? What are you doing here? And he goes, oh, yeah, well, I, I heard about this crime via telephone. The police just accepted this bizarre answer. It wasn't even out in the press. It wasn't out in the news. They were just like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And as time passes, more people had heard about it. A crowd starts forming. News had gotten around that someone was found murdered, stabbed to death. And seeing the shock, the worry, the concern, Peter said it was so cold out there, so intensely cold. But seeing the faces of all these strangers, scared, worried, it made him ejaculate in his pants. Around six weeks later, two more women were killed. 16-year-old Erna Penning was walking home when she started hearing these footsteps behind her. Now, it seemed like all of her friends had left the same general area. She was hanging out with them. So it kind of made sense that, oh, maybe it's one of my friends walking behind me. We're headed home in the same direction. That kind of makes sense. So she comes up with this cute little plan. She's going to hide behind her coat collar and pop up right when her friend passes her. She's going to slow down her walking, hide her face, and boom, she's going to scare her friend who's walking by. That was the plan. And this plan saved her life because the minute, the minute the footsteps got near her, she ducked her head under her collar and a noose was trying to get around her neck. Someone had thrown like a circular rope Mm -hmm. around her neck to try and strangle her, but it didn't go around her neck because she had ducked at the right time. 
So this man starts trying to manually put this noose around her neck and she's screaming, she's crying, she's literally fighting and they end up tipping over onto the ground and he keeps trying to strangle her with his bare hands now and that's when he decided it wasn't worth it. He takes the rope and just walks away calmly without saying a single word to Erna. Then Mrs. Flake was attacked less than 24 hours later. She was walking home from work when she heard heavy footsteps of a man behind her. So she's thinking, let's be, let's be cautious, okay? Let me slow down. If you're a girl, you totally know this feeling, okay? Let's slow down. Let this man pass so that I can walk behind him. So that I can keep my eyes on him. She can walk in peace. But right before this guy passes her, he jumps at her and throws a noose over her head. He tries shoving a gag in her mouth and she's clenching her teeth as hard as possible. She's holding her lips tightly together. and He's like, open your mouth. She's struggling with it. And he puts his hand over her nose and starts dragging her away from the street. She starts screaming, but she can't get away. And at that moment, a witness sees them, a passerby, starts freaking out, rushes over to help Mrs. Flake. And Mrs. Flake survives the whole thing. Her throat was swollen. She had trouble eating and talking afterwards. Her whole face was bruised the next morning. And because these were such public assaults, the man was identified. He was dragged into the interrogation room. Who are you? I'm who you're looking for. I'm the vampire. Well, tell me more. What did you do? And he starts listing all of his crimes, what he did to who, how he liked the attacks, how he got off on drinking blood. And the police arrest him. They ship him off to an asylum. The only problem was the man that attacked Erna and Mrs. Flake wasn't the real vampire. It wasn't Peter. The police did not arrest Peter. Wait, wait, wait. So those attack were from a different attacker? A copycat. Who what? wanted to take all the notoriety of the vampire killings. They had arrested a man by the name of Stassberg. And his whole thing was he loved these attacks. He wanted to be the person committing these attacks. He wanted to take credit for Peter's horrible crimes. And for a while, the police went along with it. So Peter's still out there, completely free, thinking he's getting away with all of his shenanigans, with all of his murders. And it only enhances his already huge, massive, ever-growing ego. The vampire only gets slimier. So he starts dating this woman by the name of Maria. Now she's another housekeeper. They go on a few dates, nothing serious. But after one of these dates, they're taking a nice little stroll. And Peter's wife comes up behind them. She saw them by chance walking down the street in the middle of their city. And she says, ha, huh, you think you got yourself a new wife, have you? And she slaps Maria across the face. And Peter grabs the roses he gave to Maria and smacks his wife on the face with the roses. And he decides, you know what? I'm not having this. And he walks away from both women, you know, because they're the problem. He's fuming. He happens to spot a nice, attractive woman also named Maria. He introduces himself. Hi, I'm blank. He never gave his real name, Peter. They're walking. They're talking. Now, she had an open schedule that day. So he asked her out that day. So they decide to go on a date at that moment and they end up at this very uh, intense local festival everything's going great but on their walk home he tries to kiss her now this is their first date so she kind of declines and he stops for a while and says well if i don't get a kiss i'll take something else and he starts full-on choking her in the middle of the street she manages to push him off fleas but she never calls the police because they would have blamed her for going on a date with him to begin with 
One guaranteed way to make me cry is just remind me of the lifespan of dogs compared to most humans. Listen, my dogs, Mango, I know, Rotten Mango, and Tiger have been with me since before I started YouTube, before this podcast, and I truly don't know where I would be without them. But like, all I can do right now is spend time with them, take care of them so that they live the happiest and healthiest life that I can give them. Farmer's Dog is such a huge part of that. Farmer's Dog makes it easy to keep your dogs healthy, which can give you more quality years with them. So Farmer's Dog, they make and deliver fresh, healthy dog food, and it's recommended by vets. My vet literally recommended me Farmer's Dog. It's nutritionally balanced and made from human-grade ingredients in safe, clean kitchens. Tiffany has been bringing Cola, her French Bulldog, over, and she keeps some of his food at her house. She said that she's been having such a hard time trying to get him to eat, so I offered her some of Mango's food to give to him. She was amazed. She said that she's never seen Cola so pumped for food. Farmer's Dog is the best option for dogs at all life stages because it's it's not kibble, it's not canned goop, it's real food. With traditional dry or even wet food options, they're extremely processed. I mean, I can hardly understand the ingredients that go into it, and it's really hard to portion. It's difficult to understand if my dogs are getting the nutrients that they need. Farmer's Dog comes pre-portioned, and it's based on my dog's unique nutritional needs. So Mango and Tiger, they eat different meals, and it's so cool. Farmer's Dog is like human-grade food made in safe kitchens. My dogs have been on Farmer's Dog for years now, ever since Mango was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, and I just noticed so many changes. They've got a healthier coat, healthier skin, their breath is better, and right now, you can get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash mango. Let the Farmer's Dog know that we sent you, so use our code or click podcast after you sign up for your first box. That's 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash mango. I don't really like doing chores around the house, I'm going to be honest with you, and I especially used to hate doing laundry. It was just one of my more tedious tasks. It takes so much time, and I often feel tempted to not even bother sorting out my clothes. But I've been trying to motivate myself to get a lot more organized, and I finally found a way to make doing my chores so much more interesting, so much more engaging, and that's by listening to audiobooks on Audible. You guys know me, there is nothing like playing a good psychological thriller. So obviously, that's what I've been listening to. I'm currently listening to The Housemaid by Frida McFadden. The main character, Millie, is out on parole and she's desperate for a job. She doesn't have any money. She's living out of her car and she gets this opportunity to be this rich family's housemaid. Millie agrees even though there's just something really strange about the Winchesters. Especially the wife, Nina. She just seems to love finding ways to make Millie's life very difficult. The family is hiding something and Millie is hiding something and there's just so much tension between Millie and the husband. It's one of those stories that you can't stop listening to and I can't wait to finish it and start the next audiobook in this series. But if Thriller is not your thing, don't worry. Audible lets you pick from thousands of titles to find the perfect soundtrack to your day. You can find audiobooks from any genre, fiction, nonfiction, wellness, self-help. But they also have podcasts like this one, guided wellness programs, comedy, and originals. Living life without using Audible is like eating food with no seasoning. Sure, you still get your nutrients in, but it's missing that extra flavor, you know? So if you want to spice up your day, I highly recommend Audible. Audible members can keep one title a month to keep from the entire catalog. New members can try Audible audible now free for 30 days visit audible.com slash rotten or text rotten to 500 500 that's audible.com slash rotten or text rotten to 500 500 to try audible free for 30 days 
Now it feels like this kind of thing sets him off. This whole annoyance of him, his wife finding him with another woman, the whole date and he didn't get what he wanted. I mean, he's getting that itch again. And at this time, he didn't care about getting caught. He cared about nothing but killing. So on the same day, in the span of one hour, in the same part of town, he would attack three people. The first victim was Mrs. Mantell. She was taking a walk by herself in a very safe area. She was actually about to pass a big church when she hears the footsteps behind her. And a man's voice says, Miss, may I accompany you? And she ignored him and she felt this sharp pain in her back. She had been stabbed. She's left for dead on the ground when another woman by the name of Anna, minding her own business, someone comes up behind her, stabs her in the back. The knife penetrated her sixth and seventh ribs, penetrated her liver and stomach, and she was sick for a very long time. So Peter's proud of himself for these two attacks. He starts skipping around, comes across a drunk man who's lying in a ditch, who's trying to crawl out, okay? So this guy had fallen into a ditch because he was drunk, and now he was actively trying to crawl back up from his ditch. And Peter walks up to him and stabs him in the back. This time he waits in the bushes, waiting for that scream of someone to find this person's body. Oh, the crowd that's going to form, it's going to be so good. He's excited about everyone freaking out about this dead man. And the sight of the ambulance is rushing to the scene. It's going to be wonderful. So after these three attacks, he strikes again at a little festival near a bean patch. A ton of people were gathering and he spots these two sisters by themselves. Five-year-old Gertrude and 14-year-old Louisa Lenzen. Hey, girls, why don't you come on over here? I have a huge surprise for you. Listen, if you do me a big favor, I can give you guys a yummy, yummy treat. Louisa, the older one, the 14-year-old, why don't you go and get me some cigarettes from the stand at the festival? One of the kiosks, yeah? I'll give you the money. And I'll even give you some extra money so that you can get some candy for you and your sister Gertrude. I'm going to keep your sister safe here. How about that? Meet me at the bean patch away from people so it's easier to see. Okay, sounds good. So now that he's alone with Gertrude, he said that he didn't want to kill her, but allegedly she had wrapped her arms around his neck like he had offered to carry her and she's five so i mean the most natural position is to wrap your arms around their neck and for some reason that just sent him off so he took her to a secluded bean patch and strangled her till she passed out and in one swift motion he slit the five-year-old girl's throat and he drank her blood when louisa comes back she had cigarettes in her hand and she's like, where's Gertrude? Where's my sister? And Peter lunges at her, carries her while choking her with his other hand to the same bean patch. And her last words, she was heard screaming, mama, mama. She was stabbed in the back four times. Her throat had been slit. And the heartbreaking part is once Louisa was left for dead, she managed to get up with a slit throat, tried to look for help, tried to scream for help, tried to run for help. But she collapsed and died before anyone knew. So now that he comes home from the fair, on his way, he's thinking about how lucky and skilled he is. Because after such gruesome killings, he didn't have really much blood on him. He went home to talk to his wife as if nothing happened. He had a completely normal day that day. He goes back to that same part of town the next morning just to walk around. Just to walk around the busy area so he could hear the whisper of everyone's shocks. Did you hear? The police found two bodies at the bean patch sisters they were so young 14 and five. oh my god those poor parents to lose both kids they were stabbed to d- what kind of monster would do such a thing and he said that he almost climaxed at the sound of that 
As he is walking around, he wanders into a neighboring town and he spots a beautiful woman by the name of Gertrude, 26 years old, and he approaches her. He pretends to be a wealthy man in the neighborhood. They start walking and talking and, you know, she's thinking, well, no big deal since they're in public. It's not like she should be worried about this guy. She's heard of all the murders that were happening, but this guy, this guy's a wealthy man. He's not a murderer. They even walked into an outdoor market together and eventually the conversation was getting better and better and the company was nice. So they find themselves kind of slowly making their way to the river, the Rhine River. They're like, well, let's go sit down on a bench, on a bench near the river. He didn't try to kiss her the whole time. He held her hand. I mean, he was the perfect picture of a gentleman. That is until they sat down on the river. The minute that their butts touched the bench, immediately Peter tries to rip off her pants. Like it was just out of nowhere. So she's screaming, get off of me. She starts pushing him, shoving him. And he says, yeah, then you shall die. And he pulls out a knife from his pocket and he stabs her, flips her over, stabs her violently all over her back. And he did it with such violent force that the blade of his knife actually broke and stayed in her vertebrae. In his last words, he gets close to her face and tells her, now you can die and leaves. This was in broad daylight. A lot of passerbys were near the river. Gertrude was found passed out. She had been stabbed over 20 times all over her throat, arms, neck, back. She had a giant slash on her head. There was still um, part of the knife found in her lower spine. Her left leg was completely paralyzed, but she did survive for a little while. But this did not deter him to stop committing his crimes. There were instances where if you refused him sex after a date, he would strangle you till you lose consciousness and assault you. If there was a woman that he liked and she was riding a bike, he would hide in the bushes until she was passing him, would jump out and push her off the bike as hard as he could. He would just attack random women on the street, strangle and grope them so hard that they would be swollen for days. Sometimes the woman would fight back, especially If they had handy weapons on them, I'm talking about umbrellas. If it was a rainy day and they had umbrellas, once he had tried to kidnap this woman, she starts beating him with an umbrella. Okay, she had it, one of those long ones. She's like, "Mm -mm, I don't think so. And she starts beating him. Are you trying to kidnap me? What are you trying to do to me, you disgusting man? And he liked getting beat so much that he ejaculated on the spot. And he didn't even chase after her because he was so satisfied with his experience. There was another incident where he was on a date with a woman at a coffee shop. At a coffee shop. Keep this in mind. So he's playing his usual games and he gropes her under the table. She punches him, decks him straight in the eye at the coffee shop. So he looks at her like, did you just do that? And he punches her straight in the mouth in the middle of a coffee shop. So her mouth is bleeding. And he looks around, slams his face onto hers and starts sucking the blood out of the wound on her lip. Now, this is all that happened because they were still in a coffee shop, but he did make her pay for his coffee afterwards. Like I said, the sight of blood would make him orgasm in his pants in public. Once he was standing waiting for the train and he saw an animal get hit by the train and bleeding and he ejaculated. If you were in an office and you got a paper cut, he would climax. He would ask women on dates and if they hesitated for whatever reason, he would ask them, Do you think maybe that I am the Dusseldorf monster? Is that why? He would still go around bonking women on the head. Sometimes he would do sick things. Like when they were knocked out, he would steal their fingernails. He would try to fracture their skulls. Sometimes he said that he would leave the crime scene so fast that the thrill of running away from a crime scene would cause him to ejaculate. 
This guy's a runner. He's a track star. I mean, how do you get off on something like that? I have no idea. The police thought at least maybe the vampire is sleeping. Maybe he's not murdering people. At least these attacks, we could say it's something else. Maybe he's dead. Maybe he's gone. But by the end of the year, they find another body. September of that year, they find the body of Ida Ruder. She was a housekeeper, and her body was found near the river. Her clothes were found left all over the area. Her legs were spread. Her body was found dragged around. The killer had taken her underwear and everything in her purse. She died from blunt force trauma. Her skull was fractured. We later find out that Peter was walking with Ida, and out of nowhere, just bonked her on the, on the temple with a hammer. She fell down without a sound, and he used her underwear to wash his hands of blood from the river later. From then on, that was his way of murdering people, to go on these cute little walks with his hammer hidden. He would chat up these women, and then he would hit them on the sides of the head with the hammer, dragging them into the woods, and then killing them. He would drink their blood, then he would just leave. There was a victim that even had her sleeves torn from her coat, and Peter would later say, well, at least you can see how excited I was. There were a lot of attempted murders during this time. The town was terrified, but it wasn't until he targeted another young child, a five-year-old, that everyone starts freaking out. Her name was Gertrude Auberman. She was literally only five. Hold on one second. There's like four or five Gertrude now. Yeah, and like five Marias. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) She was only five years old, and the last time she was seen alive, she was playing outside. Later, the police find her body next to a random person's house. Her legs were parted. Pants were torn to expose her private parts. She had been stabbed 34 times to the chest. Nine of those times, it fully penetrated her heart. She had also been strangled. Gertrude was also sexually assaulted and sodomized, and the injuries were so severe, everything had been torn and bloody. The doctors believed that she was dead by the time that she was assaulted. Now, the act of killing Gertrude wasn't enough for Peter, so he had to stab her over 30 times, and he said he only stopped when he reached his climax. So it's clear this guy is only increasingly getting worse, increasingly violent, needs more brutality to climax, right? You start seeing that in his crimes. Then there was a Maria Hahn. He spotted her sitting on a nearby park bench, and he sits down next to her, and they start having a light conversation. Then they decide to go on a date. Now, Peter claims that they had consensual sex. We don't know, but there's some sexual activity that happens, and he couldn't, you know, finish. So he gets violent. And he's like, well, I got to kill you then. So he starts choking her till she passes out. And that starts getting him excited. Then he stabs her in the throat with a pair of scissors. Blood starts gushing out of the wound. And he put his mouth to her throat and starts drinking her blood. And that is when he finishes. And he ended up drinking so much blood, in fact, that right afterwards, he bent over and threw up all over the place. Despite going through all of this, Maria was still awake. She's still awake. So she had witnessed someone drinking the blood from her neck. And she begged him, please, just let me live. So Peter continues to stab her in the chest and the head, and it took her about an hour to die. And he watched her till he was sure. And then he threw her body into a ditch nearby, covered it in branches. And he goes home with all this blood on him, and his wife freaks out on him. Now, it's unclear if August felt like she was annoyed that he was cheating on her, Or if she was like, what's all this blood? Are you hurting people? I have no idea. But what he did next was because he was worried about his wife connecting the woman's body being found to the blood on his clothes. Or if he just wanted an excuse to go back out there, he goes back to bury Maria's body. He digs this shallow grave, buries her in it, goes back into the river because he had blood all over his clothes again because he had, you know, had to put her in the grave. And he starts getting excited seeing the blood on his clothes. So he goes back and digs her back up. 
No. From the grave. And he thinks about all the things he can do to her. He's like, what if I nail her to this tree crucifixion style? Nails to her palms and her feet. The press would have a field day. They would go crazy. But he didn't have the tools. So instead, he sexually assaulted the corpse and he climaxed. And then he buried her again. So this seems like the first body that he ever tried to really conceal with a grave, right? The rest of the bodies, he just left them in the woods and he didn't even go into like the deep woods. Like I'm talking like near the river, just practically in plain sight. But when Peter gets home, he writes an anonymous letter about a body being buried in the woods and sends it to the police station. But what makes it worse is that the police thought that this letter was a joke. Yeah, the police that are looking for a serial killer completely disregarded the note. And then a month later, they get another anonymous letter. Hey, did you find the body buried in the woods? Because like, I thought I told you about it, but I'm not seeing it. I'm not hearing about it. Did you guys go look? Here are the coordinates. Here's a map. Go out here. It's not even that hidden. And they were about to throw it away. The police had this little piece of paper and they're like, yeah, this seems like a prank. And they're about to throw it away when they get a call. One of the police officers had been called to the woods because someone had found the buried body. So they're like, wait a minute, look at this letter. This letter might be real then. The body was found with as many stab wounds, 20 plus as the letter had stated. So this makes sense. Now, the reason that Peter got away from the police for so long, even after this, is not because he was so insanely smart. It's mainly because he had rented a hideaway apartment. A lot of people were tying Peter to the crimes at this point. I mean, he had dated a lot of these women in broad daylight. He had gone on these walks. He had gone on these dates with them. So people were like, this is the guy. Peter is the vampire. But he rents this hideaway apartment and he told his wife that he had raped a woman. He could go to prison for 15 years. So she agrees whenever you need to go stay in your little hideaway apartment so the police can't arrest you. Now, after the police come, they raid the couple's house. He felt like he had to talk to August. He finally admits to his wife that he is the vampire of Dusseldorf. And she is devastated, not because her husband is a monster, but because when he goes to jail, she's in her 60s. She will have no way to make money. Who's going to remarry her? Nobody. She's in her 60s. Who's going to support her? Who's going to feed her? So after some long thought, Peter tells her, we'll just call the police. There's a reward out. So if you call the police and turn me in, you'll get enough money that you can live out the rest of your days. And she was already on her way to the police station, okay? She's like, oh, that's a great idea, actually. I'm so glad you thought of it. And Peter was arrested at a local church in broad daylight. He was calm. He was collected. And not only did he go on to confess to all the vampire attacks, but he also admitted to a ton of other crimes, arson, embezzlement, assaults, all of it. He actually sat there and gave them a detailed itinerary of all of his crimes in chronological order, in great detail. He had an amazing memory. He would state the correct date of his crime almost down to the minute. He would know the victim's ages, their financial statuses. He also told the police that he was really sorry for his wife, felt like he did her wrong with all this cheating, but didn't mention the murders, like felt like he did wrong by cheating on his wife. He turned himself in for his wife, for her financial future. He knew that he was going to get caught soon, might as well get her a reward in the process. So the police are like, why are you confessing all of this to us? I like to see the disgusted reactions of you guys. What about your conscience? Well, I have none. I never felt any misgiving in my soul. Never did I think to myself what I did was bad. Even though human society condemns it, I didn't think it was bad. And he asked to be executed. And he had one pertinent question. When I'm executed, can I be beheaded? And do you think I will hear the gurgling of my own blood? No way. Is this true? Yes. Well, do you have any remorse? I have no pity for my victims. 
thinking back to all the details, it's not at all unpleasant. I rather enjoy it. I mean, to be sure, I kind of pity the victims, but in conjuring up the memories in my imagination, I even succeed in getting sexual satisfaction. So he's saying that, sure, maybe he has remorse, but he still feels sexual satisfaction thinking about all of the murders. Like I said, he has to be executed by beheading multiple times, and he said hearing his own blood gushing from his head would be the pleasure of all pleasures. Later in prison, he would tell the doctor that wrote the book that if he had the means, he would have killed masses. He would have caused catastrophes. He said the sexual urge was strongly developed in him, particularly in the last years. Every time he committed a crime, it only stimulated him more. It only drove him harder to find a new victim. Sometimes, even when I was choking my victim, I had an orgasm. Sometimes not, but the orgasm would always come when I stabbed the victim. When the victim struggled, it only stimulated my lust. I ejaculated almost every single time I saw blood. And with all of this, he was convicted of nine murders, sentenced to death, executed on July 2nd, 1931, and he was in fact beheaded. We will never know if he was able to hear his own blood gush out. And that is the story of the vampire of Dusseldorf. I feel like we've been doing a lot of older cases, a lot of like vampire cases. Uh, I hope you guys are in the mood for Halloween. It's in, coming up in a couple of days. Be safe. Do you think you can hear it? Hear the blood gushing out? See, that's what I heard that when people get beheaded, some people see them blink. But people also say that that's just your body reflex. I think you will because isn't the senses connected to the brain? So as long as they're still, your brain's not completely dead yet, your sense is still there. Uh, Does that make sense? Yeah. So technically, I guess you could hear it. That's dark. That's dark. That's dark. Because I saw the other story, someone's getting beheaded. I know this is dark. I don't know why. (laughs) I was on that. Do you see it? No. Like, do, do you see your body? Do you feel like your body? Wait, what was the question? Do you remember I asked you? Yes. Do you feel like your head is getting. Okay, I know what you're saying. I yeah, know yeah, what yeah, you're yeah, implying. Yeah. Someone was in the medical field was saying, correct answer is you just feel like you're sinking into the ground because your brain still imagine your body is there. Oh. So as your head is falling, it still oh. pictures your whole body is there. But so it's just yeah. sinking into the ground. That's the feeling. But for how long? For whatever, a few seconds, I guess. I don't know, for however long you're is still conscious you know that makes me upset because peter got his ultimate pleasure of pleasures then fork that guy peter i tell you that's creepy well hopefully none of us will ever find out and with that i leave you with this halloween episode i will actually see you guys on sunday the day of halloween the day of spooktober the whole month has ended up in this with a mini-sode i'll see you guys for halloween stay safe bye